I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Whispering Woods podcast. This is episode number 16. Well done. My mind went blank then. And this episode is about haunted houses. Again. Yes, it is. Um, Also, I just want to say Happy New Year to everyone out there. Yeah. Hope you had a good one. I'll probably... And a good Christmas. Yeah. I've got a review to read from... Bambilowery. Sorry if I couldn't say that Bambilowery. Bambilowery, I think. Love, love, love. Just found you guys all searching for a Krampus podcast and yours came up. So excited it did. And I'm on my third episode and absolutely loving it. Thank you. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much, Bambi. If that is right. Um, I'm sorry if we get names wrong. We're just assuming, really. But thank you so much for writing the review. And I'm so glad that you searched for the Krampus episode and you found us. Yeah. Right. Are you ready for the first story? Yes, I am. When I was eight years old, my family moved into the house I grew up in. It wasn't an old house, and no one had died in it. And it didn't even feel creepy. Just an average suburban house in your average southern suburbs. The way the house was set up, when you came in the front door, there was a hallway with two bedrooms and a bathroom to the right. The large living room in front of you, with a half wall separating it from the dining room to the left, and the kitchen on the other side of the dining room. Where the kitchen and the living room met, there was another small hallway and the master bedroom, a bedroom that was used as an office and a bathroom, and then a breakfast nook leading to a laundry and utility area at the end of the kitchen. My room was to the right of the front door and down the hallway past the bathroom, with the other bedroom on this hallway used for storage mostly, as I was my mother's only child. 
and my half-brother and sister didn't live with us and rarely came to visit. The first time anything really happened in that house, I was about nine, and I'd lost my last tooth. Still, being a kid, of course the tooth fairy was expected. So when I woke up in the middle of the night and saw a figure standing in the middle of the room, I assumed it was the tooth fairy. It was bold and only about three or four feet tall, about the size of an average child. I was standing completely still in the middle of my room. I remember my parents telling me that if I was awake, the tooth fairy wouldn't leave me any money. So I rolled over and went back to sleep. When I got up the next morning, I excitedly told my parents that I'd seen the tooth fairy the night before. I described what I'd seen, but they told me it was just a dream. For the next several years after that, I continued seeing and hearing minor things in the house. When I was home alone, cabinet doors would open and close. I'd hear dishes being moved around in the kitchen or catch movement out of the corner of my eye. The most common was often at night, I'd wake up to see a young woman hovering over my bed. She was dressed like the Rosie the Riveter character from the old posters from the 1940s with the red and white bandana around her hair and a denim shirt. When I would see her, she'd stare at me for a few minutes and then slowly float over my body and out through the wall behind me. I was never afraid of her, though. When I was about 12, my parents divorced and it was just me and my mother living in the house. By the time I was in my late teens, my mother was rarely home and my house became the hangout for me and my friends. Most nights, everyone gathering together to play Dungeons and Dragons or something similar after work. One night, we were hanging out but didn't want to play, so I pulled out a Ouija board I picked up at the local toy store a few weeks before, wanting to try it out. We sat in my room to play with the lights out and the door closed, and it went pretty normally, nothing crazy happening for the most part. The only strange thing that happened was at one point we asked something like show yourself and at that point we heard the front door open and close and heavy footsteps come down the hall towards my room. The handle of my door started to turn and one of the guys jumped up and locked the door before it could open. We didn't hear anything else, no footsteps moving away from the door or anything and after a little while, we turned on the light and opened the door to see if my mother had come home unexpectedly. The house was empty and the front door locked. We decided we'd had enough of the game at that point, put it up and everyone went home. A few weeks later, we were hanging out at my house again, this time playing Dungeons and Dragons, though one of the girls that usually came had to work late and had classes in the morning so she'd said she wouldn't be coming. While we were sitting in the living room to play, at right two in the morning, suddenly we heard footsteps run across my wooden front porch. It sounded like someone very short or a small child running quickly. Everyone in the room heard it, and we had a conversation. Maybe our friend had changed her mind and had just arrived. She was very short, and it made more sense than a child running through the neighbourhood at that time of night. When she never came into the house, we all got up to look and there was no one outside and her car wasn't in the yard. 
Her boyfriend, who was with us, gave her a call and verified that it wasn't her as she'd just arrived home on the other side of town and was headed to bed. Around this time, the activity in the house picked up. I saw shadow figures with red eyes, often in the living and dining room, footsteps and other noises at all hours of the day or night. I started waking up in my room to see hooded figures standing near my window and door. It was around this time my half-brother, who I was close to, passed away. It was sudden and I hadn't seen him in years as he'd gotten into drugs and my mother had decided to keep me away from him because she didn't want him to be a bad influence on me. After that, I'd wake up hearing his voice saying my name in the middle of the night often. On a whim one night, I sat down and typed out a letter to him on my computer that was in my bedroom, since I was home alone that night and was bored. Now this computer was hooked up to an old dot matrix printer, one of the really loud kind that makes all kinds of racket when it's running. After I wrote the letter, I felt silly about it and deleted it without saving or printed it and shut down the computer before I went to bed. Around three in the morning, I woke up and my bed was soaking wet. At first, I thought my puppy had peed on the bed because he was too small to get down, even though he was housebroken and I'd taken him out just before bed. I got up to let him outside and change my bed sheets when I realised the wet was just water and that it was more than a tiny puppy could have made. On my way to take my blankets to the laundry room, I passed the bathroom in my hallway and noticed the light was on, even though I turned off all the lights before bed. There sitting on the counter was a picture from the kitchen, with the inside still wet. When I was really young, my brother used to wake my sister and I up by throwing water on us because it made me laugh. When I got back into my room and started making my bed, I noticed a piece of paper laying on top of my printer. It was the letter that I'd written to him and never saved or printed. The computer was still shut down and the printer was off, but it had been printed out, torn off the printer and laid on top as if someone had read it. The normal things like this continued for a few years when I lived there off and on before turning dark shortly before I moved out the house for good. The hooded figures appeared more often. I woke up one night with the feeling that I was being stared at, only to roll over and see what looked like a rotting corpse a few inches from my face. And one night woke up to a hooded man standing at the foot of my bed with my bedroom door open when it had been closed before. He held up his hand and a ball of blue light appeared in his palm, which he threw at my face. He and the ball disappeared just before it hit me, but the room was so cold that I could see my breath on a normally hot southern summer night. When I was in my early twenties, after I moved out for good, I had one last experience in the house. My mother hadn't been to the house in months and was preparing to sell it. I'd told one of my cousins about the things that had happened there through the years and he decided that one night out of boredom he and a friend of his would pick me up to go ghost hunting the house while it was empty. We each had a camera and he had a voice recorder that we brought. We set the recorder in my old bedroom and spent an hour or two wandering around the house taking pictures. When we got done, 
we came back to my room and sat to listen to the recording and discuss all of the nothing that we'd found. On the recording, we could hear our voices moving from room to room and talking about how my cousin's friend's camera had a sexy shutter sound and the fact that my camera stopped working almost as soon as we walked in the door. About 20 minutes into the recording, when we could hear all three of our voices echoing from the other side of the house, a deep voice that was right up against the microphone on the recording spoke, Get the hell out! We immediately obliged. I found out a few years later that my mum actually had several experiences in that house, with waking up to find an older man in his 50s or 60s looking through her closet, or seeing him just wandering around the house. When she'd say anything or get his attention, he'd turn around and look at her and then vanish. She also thought she was just dreaming or something, but with everything I saw over the years at that house, I can't help but think it was something else. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I've got a bit of a story to tell, actually, about Haunted House. Really? Yes. Okay. So when I was a kid, um, my best friend went to stay at her mum's boyfriend's house. And it was in a posh area. It was a big house, a big old house. Um, So they all had different bedrooms and then they woke up in the morning and all described having exactly the same dream. Mm, What was the dream? They all described that they had been woken up in the middle of the night by a black demon with red eyes and it was trying to like throw them out of bed. Mm. And they all had it. That's really scary. Yeah. Isn't it? I don't know. But they if... could just be waffling. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean waffling? Chatting <laughs> <Cat and> rubbish. <laughs> no, but they, seriously, they were freaked out by it. I, I don't know if I said that when we meet some Yeah, but they were a bit <laughs> older and, the, and like their mum was, how old she probably would have been in her late 30s then. Mm. You know? What, she had a dream as well? She, she had it, oh. yeah. Well, and explain it, but... And three daughters all had the same dream. Mm. You know? Yeah. That is freaky, isn't it? And actually, 
because they were meant to get married her mum and and this man and they they didn't in the end um so i wonder if it was like a bit of a warning of like mm. yeah yeah because they were all going to move into that house and uh could have been a sign yeah dark things <laughs> <laughs> Our previous house that we lived in, in Southmead, was haunted. What? Uh, 69? Yeah. 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 Was it? It was. Um, And I think it was by the previous tenant who lived in there. He actually died in there. Mm. Um, I think he had a heart attack. But every now and again, I'd sense a presence. But mostly, what I would smell... Cigarette smoke. Mm. Like it would just waft in in the middle of the night. It was really odd. Um, so I spoke to my neighbour and said, because she didn't really want to tell me, we got on yeah. really well. But um, I said, I said, did did he die in here? And she was like, uh, yes, but we he was lovely. So there's nothing to be frightened of. And she said, we didn't really want to tell you because we didn't want to scare you. You've probably just sat in the living room smoking five and watching TV. I said, did he smoke? And she went, yeah, he smoked really, really heavily. Yeah. Yeah. Spooky. I remember in our, I don't know if I explained it on this on podcast before, but year four camp, when me and Milo and all that, we were in the tent and that, that story going around and uh Lucas he got he got scared because he actually he thought he, he was actually crying mind like Aww. and there was like I'm sorry Lucas if you see this so I'm not embarrassing you <laughs> but yeah um he was like apparently he saw like a man in like, the woods with a white mask and like chopper or something mm. <laughs> you did say about it yeah. yeah yeah and he was actually like crying like, in the hub with Miss Pearson Miss Pearson had yeah. to come and rescue you. Yeah, Aww. and uh, and one time, we, one time, uh, yeah, I remember when me and my, we were sleeping and Milo and that was still awake, mm-hmm. and all the other boys were in there. I was sleeping. Apparently, I was sleep talking because they were like, uh, I was shouting. Apparently, no, please. Don't kill me, please, no. <laughs> and they kept telling me about it in the morning now, and apparently they all got up and shouted, Toby was wrong, but I didn't wake up. Mm, you do talk in your sleep. <laughs> George does as well. You can have a conversation with him. <laughs> but you've both done that since you were little. Rubbish. And when I wake, try and wake you up anyway, you come out with some rubbish. Like, it's gibberish. <laughs> it really is. So I don't know what, what you're dreaming about. Right, are you ready for this second story? Yes, I am. This is the last story, so it's quite a long one. Now, this um, story, the guy who wrote it and experienced it uh, tweeted to me to take a look at it. Um, Yeah, it is really creepy, and it happens in Wales, so not far so after we've done the podcast, we can take a little look because he says you can ha- you can see the place. It's on Google Maps, I think. It anyway, we'll have a look at that later after you've listened to the story.
The Ghost of Gladstone Villa My family and I lived at a large property called Gladstone Villa in the former mining town of Bargoid in the Caerphilly County borough of South Wales Valleys in the UK. From 1969 to 1978, we experienced activity that simply defied rational explanation, such as lights going off and on. We witnessed electrical cables being pulled, and my grandfather Bill claimed to have had a glass bottle thrown towards him as he entered the main bedroom, missing him by inches. I didn't personally see this myself, but I still recall the time he came from there with a broken bottle in his hands and told us what had happened. There was the occasional sighting, but this was very rare indeed. So rare that in all of the nine years I was there, I never once saw it. But I did hear it many times in the bedroom. It's still worth mentioning that my mother, Caroline, saw it on at least two occasions. There were also regular footsteps heard in the main bedroom every evening, sometimes during the day when we'd all be downstairs watching TV. One of us would turn the volume down to hear it more clearly, and my grandfather Bill would point to the ceiling and say, he's by here and he's by there now, trying to make out where the footsteps were coming from exactly. There were five members of the family that were living at the Gladstone Villa. My maternal grandfather, William Higgs, known as Bill to family and friends, a retired miner who worked at the local colliery. He was a short, bald man who liked nothing more than to listen to his country and western LPs. My maternal grandmother was Rita Higgs. She was a short woman who was a housewife. She was completely teetotal but liked to smoke. She also liked collecting garden names and liked watching soap operas on TV. My mother, Caroline Dexter, met my father at the local bake house in Baldwin Street. She was day shift regularly and my father worked the night shift. He would stay behind to make her a cup of tea and chat. They dated for three years before they got married on Monday the 1st of April 1968. The Beatles were number one with Lady Madonna, very apt. They did not get a place of their own, but they decided to live with my grandparents at Gladstone Villa, which was in Cardiff Road. I was born on the 24th of August 1969, when everyone was listening to the last number one in the charts, Honky Tonk Woman by the Rolling Stones. It was soon after that my mother said that strange things started to happen. I was just a baby when she said it all started off rather quietly, like small tapping here and there, but nothing too noticeable. But in time, the activity gradually increased. One time, my mother said the family heard a noise, a noise like someone jumping down from the attic and onto the landing. Naturally, thinking that someone was trying to break in, they went to see what was going on. When they got there, they found nobody there, but the hatch to the attic was open. Whatever it was eventually occupied itself in the main bedroom, which incidentally was my grandparents' room. It soon made its presence felt by walking around the bedroom and the sounds of dragging could be heard. One day, my mother went upstairs to that bedroom to get my father up for work so he could get ready for his night shift. 
When she got there, she was confronted by the sight of the ironing board placed on my father's torso as he slept. When he awoke, he was astonished to find the situation he was in. He suspected my grandfather Bill was playing pranks, but in time, he knew my grandfather was not responsible for it. And he told his work friends what was going on there, and it got around town that Gladstone Villa was haunted. My parents separated in 1972, and my father left Gladstone Villa. But it wasn't because of what was going on at the villa, it was just a breakdown of the marriage. They finally divorced on the 25th of April 1975. The British band, the Bay City Rollers, were number one in the charts with Bye Bye Baby. Again, very apt. It would have been amusing, but for the fact of what was going on there. I was barely two years old, so I have no memory of my father living at Gladstone Villa. But he would come to see me every Saturday to take me to see my paternal grandparents and the local cinema. Great times, even though the paranormal activity still continued. As I got older, I too witnessed the activity for myself. I actually saw the poltergeist activity. I saw the electrical cables being pulled by unseen forces. I saw the lights going off and on, and when my grandfather Bill would play records on the Sunday, as the family did the dinner, it would turn the music off. It took exception to the British band Slade and any religious TV shows my grandmother Rita would watch. The local police were also involved. I remember them popping their heads into the attic, hesitating and not going in. But they suggested it was my father playing a prank on the family. A family friend, Mrs Ivy France, she was more of a friend to my grandmother Rita. She was very sceptical when my grandmother told her that Gladstone Villa was haunted. I can still remember Ivy going into the main bedroom looking around and saying it was vibration from the traffic outside causing it. But she was soon to change her mind when she experienced it for herself. It was then she suggested the local press and the medium. The medium was John Matthews, and when he came to Gladstone Villa, he started by asking the family questions. He then began by challenging the spirit to perform, by knocking on the ceiling, and sure enough, it responded by knocking back at him. At some point, John went into a trance to try and make contact with it, but he failed to get a name. He later confirmed the obvious that there was indeed a presence there, and it was an earthbound spirit, and that it has unfinished business. A priest by the name of Graham Jones was called to Gladstone Villa. He blessed the property, and after a few prayers, he duly left, and it was quiet for a few short months after that. No incidents but it did return, and with a vengeance. And this time, it decided to show itself. One evening, my grandfather Bill, my mother Caroline and I were watching television. My grandmother Rita was reading a book, when all of a sudden, my mother just so happened to look to her left, and she saw the full, solid figure of a monk standing by the doorway. We did not see this, as we were otherwise occupied but she later described it in detail as a monk in a typical brown habit, complete with hood over the head so she didn't see the face. It sounded very much like a 17th century Benedictine monk, 
Fred Davies was a friend of my grandfather Bill. They worked together at the local colliery and he would visit most evenings. Fred was a slim man who would wear a flat cap and glasses and smoked homemade cigarettes that hung from his lips when he spoke. He would sit in his favourite chair by the open fire and talk to the family and watch TV with us. One day, Fred was with us in his usual place by the open fire. I was quietly playing with my toys by the sideboard. It was quiet when all of a sudden there was one loud bang. It was so loud that Fred ducked his head and I ran to my mother for comfort. When it was quiet, we all went upstairs. My grandfather Bill would always be first and I would be last. When we go to that bedroom, we found nothing that could account for that noise. Fred later told us that he ducked his head as he thought it was going to come through the ceiling. Fred told us of another experience he had at Gladstone Villa. My grandfather Bill liked to look out the landing window that overlooked Cardiff Road and into Bargoy Town Centre. This time Fred joined him. He said he felt something brush past him. When he looked, there was nothing there. The most frightening experience I had was when I was alone in that particular bedroom. I made sure the light was on. It was very quiet. I was lying on the bed facing the window that overlooked Cardiff Road when I suddenly felt something heavy pounce on the bottom of the bed. I heard the bed springs go just once and I felt the bed bounce. I didn't look straight away, but when I did, there was nothing there. I went downstairs to tell my family and we all went back up. We saw distinctive paw marks on the bed, like that of an animal. I later found out that my grandfather Bill had a black Labrador dog called Tovey, who died before I was born. My grandfather Bill and my mother Caroline claimed to have heard a baby crying there, but as I didn't hear that at the time, I took very little notice of what they said. The activity got so bad that my mother, grandmother and I slept downstairs with the lights on. It was only my grandfather Bill who was supposedly brave enough to sleep there. It was then that he himself had yet another experience in there. He told us that he was lying on the bed when all of a sudden he couldn't move. He couldn't even shout out to us to help him. This could well have been sleep paralysis, but he said he heard something in the room with him. My grandmother Rita had her own experiences. One day, she went upstairs into that room to get my grandfather up when she saw the boiler door open wide by itself. She didn't stay there to see what it was, but she rushed out that room. Another occasion... She said she had this sensation of something pulling from under her foot, like she had stepped on his gown. We had the ghost for so long that my grandmother Rita gave it a pet name. She called him Johnny, and my grandfather Bill would shout out that name to provoke a reaction, but nothing would happen. Ivy Francis's son, Charles, got to hear about what was going on at Gladstone Villa, and he came along with some friends, and with my family's permission, they went into the bedroom. It frightened one of his friends, and to this day, he still says it was a spooky place. My mother Caroline had an operation and ended up on crutches to support her. The local nurse was tend her foot. My mother was sat on the chair when the nurse came this day, and the nurse knelt down to tend to her, 
and she told my mother not to hold her. My mother looked at my grandmother Rita in amazement as she was not holding the nurse at all. My mother made her own conclusions that it was Johnny the ghost that was holding her so as not for the nurse to hurt her. The only time I heard the ghost being vocal was the time we were all in the room. One of us wanted to use the bathroom and we couldn't get in there. My grandfather Bill said, He's behind there. I heard quite distinctively the sound of a Gregorian chant. And that was it, nothing more. We left in the summer of 1978 when two local businessmen bought the property and Gladstone Villa was eventually converted into a small hotel and its name changed to Red Parks Hotel. On the night before we moved, there was one final incident we experienced. As if it knew we were going, and that was its way of saying goodbye. My mother, grandmother and I got ready to go to sleep. The light was still on, and then we heard the doorknob turning, as if someone was trying to get in. At first, I naturally suspected my grandfather, Bill, as he was the only one who slept upstairs in that room, and we thought it may have been him playing a prank. I called out to him, but there was no answer, no laugh that would give him away. We then heard our belongings that were packed in the hallway being thrown around. The next day, we asked my grandfather Bill if it was him playing a joke on us. He insisted it wasn't him, and to this very day, I believe him. I had my 40th birthday at the Reds Park Hotel in August 2009 for old time's sake and it was the female staff that told me about the ghost and I told them about what happened to me there 30 years before. The staff told me of their own personal experiences, lights going off and on, the odd sighting in room 5, a bride in white was seen, again as with the claims of the baby crying that made no sense to me at the time. I did a thorough research of the property and the Cardiff Road area, and I found out some very interesting things indeed. I found out from Bargoed Library and local newspaper archives that Gladstone Villa dates back to 1900, and it was named after the former British Prime Minister, William Gladstone. I discovered the previous people that lived there, the Kimiette family in 1924, the new married couple, Michael and Evelyn Kimmett, and a son named Elvin Kimmett. He died at that property just four months old, according to the archives of Cardiff newspaper, the Western Mail of that year. This explains a baby my mother and grandfather heard in the bedroom. Mrs Evelyn Kimmett died in 1970, soon after I was born. Maybe this is why the activity all started. I also found out there was a monastery in Baldwin Street where my parents met and worked, and there was a property directly opposite the former Gladstone Villa property in Cardiff Road, dating back to the 16th century. It's now a public house called the Rafa Club. A priest hide is said to be there, but it's sealed up. This explains the monk my mother saw. What I have said here is true. I wouldn't share this if I couldn't possibly back this up and I have used real names as I have nothing to hide and all I have said can be verified by the family of those people I mentioned. Sadly, some of the people I have mentioned are no longer with us. I challenge any hardened sceptic and firm non-believer and I can assure them that they will indeed most certainly question their belief system.
Of this, I have no doubt at all whatsoever. In fact, I'm 100% positive. You may Google this property. It's still there on Cardiff Road. Bargoed, Wales, UK. Very near Caerphilly and Cardiff. Whoa, that is quite weird. Mm. Monks seem to like to hang about, mm. don't they? Yeah. You know? When we were kids, there used to be, um, I don't even know if it was, but we called it the old nunnery. Now, it was a dilapidated building. It was all falling down. So we used to go up there on our bikes, join the summer holidays, a bit like a Goonies film. Mm. Um, we'd head up to the nunnery. It's quite a quite a cycle. Um, we were probably about eight, nine, ten, that sort of age. And we had this thing that sometimes we'd venture in there. But generally, what we would do on the uh, boundary wall, we decided that if we threw stones and we didn't hear them land, it meant a nun was catching them. A ghost nun. (laughs) (laughs) Or waffling. Yeah, we loved it, though. We spent, like, days and days up at this place, you know, getting scared. It was brilliant. We'd be, like, packing snacks and we'd head up on the grifters. (laughs) Do you know what a grifter is? No. It's a bike, a bit like a chopper. Yeah. Yeah, with a long seat. Yeah. Oh, we'd be up there. It was brilliant. Uh I loved it. You know, kids don't really do that so much these days, do they? Get out, have an adventure. But you were just saying you want to, don't you? Yeah, I want to go somewhere that's creepy and just get me or scare all of me and my mates. Hmm. It's funny. I think we should, in the new year... We should start doing some more, well, start actually doing some proper investigating. Would you like that? Mm. Yeah, I don't know an awful lot. I mean, I know about stuff, but there's so much equipment that you can that you can get. But maybe we can start with that, you know, when they do it with the torches. Yeah. So it's to see if they can turn the light on and stuff. Maybe we can go and stay somewhere that's meant to be haunted and do our own investigation. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Hmm. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Please like, follow us, and recommend stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, if you enjoy the podcast, please recommend it to other like-minded people. Um, we hope you have a fantastic new year, and we will catch up with you again next week. Goodbye. Take care, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.